Hey, you're listening to a sermon from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about our church, you can visit ktnnaz.org, visit us on Facebook, just search Ketchikan Naz, or you can download our free app from the iPhone store or the Google Play store. Just search Ketchikan Naz. Thanks um, for visiting. So, Hope the uh, word of God prayer, speaks to you today. We gave a very simple definition from the Westminster Catechism, right? And I got it up here for you, I think, I hope. There we go. Um, prayer is an offering up of our desires for things agreeable to God's will in the name of Jesus with the confession of our sin and thanksgivings for his mercies, right? So that's a broad definition of prayer. We are offering up our desires to God for things agreeable to his will, right? And we are asking for forgiveness of our sins and acknowledging his great mercies. And that's what prayer is. So this is what we talked about last week. We learned that prayer forms us in the image of Christ, that prayer informs us of the will of God, and that we pray because Jesus did it and told us to do it. And if we want to be like Jesus, then we should do what he did and what he tells us to do. Now, I want to read you a story this morning. So if you will find your Bibles, uh, Genesis chapter 18, it's at the very beginning of your Bible. Uh, And if you don't have a Bible, there's one under the seats in front of you, or there are Bible apps you can get on your phone. I'll give you a few seconds to get to Genesis chapter 18. And when you're there, if you would stand for the reading of God's word. And we're going to start in about verse 16, give or take. I'll give you a little background. This is the story of Abraham. And uh, there's a lot that's been going on in his life leading up to the moment that we're about to read. Um, He has uh, just found out that he's going to have a child, which he thought was impossible. Um, And so he's had some like family like, wow, I can't believe this is happening in my life going on. Um, And what has happened is uh, angels of the Lord have come to visit him, to walk with him. And they are called um, men in this passage. Um, And so when it references the men set out from there, we're talking about angels, representatives of God walking with Abraham. So we are going to start Genesis chapter 18, uh, starting in verse 16. We're going to read through the end of the chapter. Then the men set out from there, and they looked down towards Sodom. And Abraham went with them and set on their way. And the Lord said, Should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? Seeing that Abraham will surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations on the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household After him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised to him. So the Lord said, because of the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah, there's great, uh, is great, and their sin is very grave. I will go down and see whether they have done altogether what the outcry has come to me about. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went to Sodom. But Abraham stood still before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, "Um, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Well, suppose there are 50 righteous within this city. We then sweep away the place and not spare the 50 righteous who are in it. Far be it for you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare the same as the wicked. Far be it from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom 50 righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. And then Abraham answered and said, Behold, I've undertaken to speak to the Lord, I who am but dust and ashes. But suppose 
five of the 50 righteous are lacking. Would you destroy the whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find 45 there. And again, Abraham spoke to him saying, um, suppose there are 40 there. And he answered, for the sake of 40, I will not do it. And he says, um, oh, let the Lord not be angry and I will speak again. But suppose there are just 30 there that are found. And he answered, I will not do it if I find 30. And again, Abraham said, behold, I know I have undertaken to speak to the Lord, but suppose, suppose just 20 are found there. And he answered, for the sake of 20, I will not destroy it. And then Abraham said again, oh, let the Lord not be angry and I will speak but just this once more. Um, suppose 10 are found. Suppose just 10 are there. And he answered, for the sake of 10, I will not destroy it. And then the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. This is the word of the Lord this morning. You may be seated. Have you guys read this story before? Yeah. Right? I like this story. Um, I like this story a lot because... <laughs> There is so much dynamic going on between God and Abraham here, and it boggles my brain to think, I mean, just for a moment, put yourself in Abraham's position, right? You're talking with God, okay? And it's one thing to boldly approach God and say, God, I know what you said you're going to do, but what if you did this? I mean, that's pretty bold, right? But then you're like, okay, how much further can I take it? Have you ever had debates with your children and they, they bargain with you over something and they're like, okay, if I do 10 minutes, then uh, will you do this? Okay, but if I only do five minutes, can I still, what about three minutes? No, four, three and a half. And it's this, I got teens laughing, teen <laughs> laughing right here and the parents, this is funny. Um, so we understand this bargaining mentality, but there is something unique that is happening in Abraham's life because of this interaction with God. Um, this is called uh, intercession. Um, what Abraham is doing for uh, the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, these aren't even really his people. He's just concerned for the righteous that are there. Um, and what we are talking about this morning is intercession. And what we see in this story is Abraham interceding for the righteous people that live in Sodom and Gomorrah, because God says, listen, this city is pretty sinful. The things that they are doing, uh, it's pretty bad. And I'm just going to, I'm just going to wipe them all out. And uh, Abraham is very concerned for the things that are going to happen there. What about the righteous people? And so he literally steps out in front of God and says, are you really going to do this? I want to speak on behalf of the people that can't speak right now. And so he intercedes. And I had to ask myself this question, what is intercession? It's a type of prayer. We hear about intercessory prayers in Scripture, and we tell people, would you intercede for me? Would you pray for me? But what does that really mean? So I looked up the word intercession, and it literally means to go between. The word intercession, when you break down its parts, inter and sedere, which is the other part, but we in English make it uh, C-E-D-E, okay, means between go. So to intercede means to between go, to go between on behalf of someone else. You are literally, when you are interceding, you are acting on behalf of someone. You are going in between danger and someone for their good, right? So when you are interceding for someone, like Abraham was interceding for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, 
He stepped in between God, who was about to pour out wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah, into, in between God and the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, and then turned and faced God and said, wait a minute, are you going to do this really? And Sodom and Gomorrah was over here, and God was over here, and Abraham was the go-between. He was the in-betweener. He was the one that said, I see what's about to happen, and I can't let this happen. I'm going to step in between, and I'm going to talk to God on behalf of the people that are not talking to God and see if we can work something out to benefit these people. It's a go-between, right? It is to go between danger or trouble, right? So when you are interceding for someone, you are literally stepping in between what is about to happen and them. And you are asking God to change the circumstance and situation for the benefit of that person and the glory of his name. Now, something we need to know about intercession, it's God's nature, right? God's very nature is an intercessory nature. The very core root of who God is, is to intercede. Now, I've talked about the definition of love a lot in this congregation. So hopefully by now, the definition sounds vaguely familiar to you, that love is a demonstrated preference for the well-being of others over and above myself, even at great personal expense by the help of God's Holy Spirit, right? So that is the greatest biblical definition of love that I've come to understand at this point in time in my life. It's also the greatest definition of God's character of interceding, right? Because love is a demonstrated preference for the well-being of others. He preferenced, preferentially, he preferred, there we go. He preferred the well-being of someone else. He stepped in between the danger and the wrath of God and us at great personal expense to himself. He interceded by dying on the cross for our sins in our place. Jesus is the very epitome, the very picture of what it means to intercede. We were lost in sin, right? We were deserving of God's wrath and judgment, right? We have fallen short of the glory of God, and we were separated from God forever and ever. And Jesus said, I, I love these people. God, we must do something about this. Allow me to intercede. Allow me to come to earth and live a sinless life and go to the cross and willingly die on the cross in their place for their sins. So the wrath of God will fall on me and I will be the go-between. I will be their mediator, the in-betweener for them. So that when you look at them, you see my atonement and they can then enter into righteousness. It's very much like what Abraham did, right? Abraham was just a picture of what was to come in Jesus. So um, I want to read to you some scriptures so that you don't just take my word for it. Um, if you want to follow along, Romans chapter 8 talks about this nature of God being an interceder. Um, Romans chapter 8, uh, starting in verse 26, and we're going to go to verse 34. Two pictures of uh, how God intercedes for us. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought to, but the Spirit himself, God's Holy Spirit, intercedes for us with groanings that are too deep for words. And he who searches the heart knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints 
according to the will of God. Now, I just want to stop there for just a moment, okay? I want you to really think about what that verse says. God, God the Holy Spirit, part of the Trinity, right? Not just like this thing that God uses. The Holy Spirit is not a thing. The Holy Spirit is God. And so God the Holy Spirit knows your heart and mind and searches you and when you've been in that place where you don't know what to pray and you don't know how to pray and life is just chaos all around you and you're not exactly sure even how to approach God about the things that are going on in your life, it says God intercedes in your weakness with groanings that are too deep for words. So when you do not know what to say and pray, the Holy Spirit groans on your behalf to God and communicates your very heart's desires in a very deep and intimate and passionate way to the throne of God. Isn't it great that you have a God that knows and intercedes for you when you have no idea what to do or say, right? So that's what the Holy Spirit does for you. Let's continue. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also, pe he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn of the many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What then should we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with us give us graciously all things? Who can bring any charge against, God, against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, and indeed is interceding for us. So we get this idea that Jesus himself was the one who came and was the mediator between us and God. He died for us. He raised again from the dead. And now he is literally seated at the right hand of God. The Holy Spirit is interceding for us with groanings too deep for words. And Jesus is up in the throne room, right hand of God, saying, Hey, God, listen to this prayer. Hey, God, listen to this person. Hey, God, this child of mine is talking to you. Hey, God, pay attention. Hey, God, do something about this. You have two mighty, powerful assets interceding for you. God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus Christ. And if that is not the best news you have heard in your entire life, I, I can't offer you any better news than God, God himself interceding for you. Um, in Hebrews, it says this. I love the book of Hebrews because it's all about Jesus. All the books are about Jesus, but this one is just so rich and deep. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 23. The former priests were many in number, because they were prevented from death by continuing in office, right? So they like they lived, they did their priestly duty, they died, and a new priest would take over. But Jesus holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him because he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus' sole purpose in living right now and forever and always is to make intercession for us. If you want to read an intercessory prayer, John chapter 17. Um, that's Jesus praying for his disciples then and those in the future that would come, which would be us. If you want to know what Jesus is praying for you right now in the throne of heaven, flip open to John chapter 17 and read it. 
because I guarantee you those are Jesus' words meant for us today. Jesus lives to make intercession for us because intercession is the very nature of God. It's who he is. He can't stand that we would be separated. And so he lives to make intercession for us. But it's not just that. If indeed prayer is something that forms us into the image of God, and we talked about that last week, then there is something significant that happens when we pray intercessory prayer because God invites us to intercede. Like this story with Abraham and him, right? He said, should I let Abraham know what I'm going to do to the city of Sodom and Gomorrah? Should I allow him to understand what I'm about to do? Because after all, he will become a father of great nations. Should I not form him to lead the nation and be an intercessor for his nation and have a passionate heart for his people? I think I'll tell him what's going to happen. And while he talks with me and walks with me, he will be formed into the leader who intercedes for people who are in desperate need of intercession. Um, intercession, when you pray for other people, right, and their needs, it causes us to see people like God sees people, right? God deeply cares about people. Every single person that ever walks the face of this planet, God deeply and passionately cares for, which is why he says, my will is that none should perish. And he deeply cares for everyone. And so when he invites us to pray for people, he is inviting us to see people not as problems, but as people, right? People who have broken hearts and people who have aches and pains and people who have lost souls and people who are just struggling in the life that they live in. And he is inviting us to see them not as annoyances, but as people in desperate need of the love of a Savior. When we intercede on behalf of people to the throne of God, our heart starts to feel for people. You can't pray for people and not feel their angst, right? Because you are interceding for them. It changes our hearts when we pray for people, and we begin to be formed a little bit more like God, because all prayer forms us in the image of God. And so when we intercede for people, we become like God in that we have an intercessory nature. We begin to desire to pray for the people. It becomes natural to us. But it also informs us of God's will. As we pray for people, right, there are three things that God says to us in prayer. Yes, no, and later, right? Yes, no, and I almost said maybe because that's what I tell my kid. Yes, no, and later. Those are the things that God says. So as we're praying for people... We may get the answer of yes, and we may see life circumstances changed. We may say, God, can you please take away this illness from someone? Can you please heal their body and mind and heart? And God might say, no, my glory is going to be made known through this weakness. But in praying, we will learn the will of God, and we will begin to see how the glory of God may be made known. No is not necessarily a bad thing. It is something that can indeed form us in the will of God. But his heart is that none should perish, and that's why he invites us to pray for people. I want to read you two more scriptures um, that tell us um, a little bit about why God wants us to pray for people. Because um, I had to ask myself this question, what good does it do? Like a lot of times I pray for people, but I don't really see the results of it. And, and what am I really praying for anyway? I mean, does it make a difference when I pray for so-and-so's Aunt Susie's broken toe to feel better? Because we get prayer requests like that, right? And those are valid things. We should pray for all the prayer requests that we are asked to pray for. But sometimes you wonder, does it make a difference? Does God hear me? Does this matter? And I want to tell you from Scripture 
what it is that we are praying for. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, 10 and 12. When he comes, when Jesus comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, to this end, we always pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me translate. When we pray for people, when we intercede for people, we pray for their health and we pray for their families and we pray for their well-being. But do you want to know why we are really interceding for people? We are really interceding for people so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in them and them in him. We are praying that people would begin to walk with and understand and embody the very holiness and the life that God has given to us in Christ. We are interceding that they may know God and walk with him in holiness because his word tells us it's possible. His word tells us that when we pray for people, that they may actually know and understand the glory of God. Is that not what we want for our own lives, right? Should we not want that for other people? Here's what it says in 1 Timothy 2, 1 through 6. And this is really good in this uh, culture and uh, days of election and all of the stuff that we get going on. If you want to tuck a verse in the back of your mind and roll with it for a while, this is a very good one. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 1 through 6. First of all, then, I urge that all supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator, one intercessor between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Why do we pray? We pray at all times, with all prayers and all intercessions, for all people and for the leaders, so that we might live godly lives, so that we might live godly lives, and so that they might live godly lives, and that together we might glorify God in a dignified, peaceful way as a city, as a group of people, as a nation, as a church, as a global economy for Jesus, right? And it says specifically, this is good, and it pleases Jesus. So if you want to know what pleases Jesus, it is to pray for people, to intercede for people, and to pray for your leaders. This is what is good and pleasing to God. So if we are not interceding for people, we are lacking in something that Scripture tells us pleases God. If we want to please God, we need to intercede for people. Um, so here's where it kind of gets challenging. I want to ask you some evaluative questions, okay? Um, here's some types of people we can pray for, right? The lost, the needy, the lonely, the sick, broad categories, right? Um, now, thinking of those categories and thinking of the people that you know in your life, don't say anything out loud. Have you ever been in a conversation and you've 
had a conversation with someone and they've shared something with you and you're like, I'll pray for you. Have anybody ever said that? Yeah? Okay. Don't answer this one out loud. How many of you actually prayed for them? The worst thing a Christian can ever say is, I'll pray for you. Because nine times out of ten, doesn't happen, right? Nine times out of ten, we just forget. We're well-intentioned, right? But we forget. And so we say we're going to intercede for them. They are hoping we are going to intercede for them. And we actually don't intercede for them. That's directly opposite of what God says is good and pleasing to him. So um, when you say, I'll pray for you, do you actually follow through on that? And let me just stick in one little soapbox moment, okay? Don't say, I'll pray for you. Say, let me pray with you right now, okay? There's a really big difference. Don't say, I'll pray for you. Say, hey, can I pray with you right now? You can pray in a parking lot. You can pray in a grocery store. You can pray in line at the bank. You can pray just about anywhere, right? Because if there's something going on, you end the conversation with, I'll pray for you. It's a nice sentiment, but it doesn't mean anything until you actually pray for them. So why don't you actually put your hands on their shoulders and pray right then and there, a 10 to 15 second prayer. God blesses that. It's holy in his sight and it's good, okay? But let me ask you a question. Those people that you're thinking about, okay, that you know, does your heart actually hurt for their struggles? Do you feel compassion and empathy and do you just feel a burden for people? Or do you recognize that there's a need and you go, there's a need, but it, I feel kind of distant from it. I actually don't feel anything about their need. I recognize the need, but I'm not emotionally invested there. Jesus, when he came down... Um, the Mount of Olives into Jerusalem, he looked over the city. What did he do? He wept, right? He wept for the city of Jerusalem because they were lost and tossed about like waves on the sea, like sheep without a shepherd. His heart, his intercessory heart, the nature of God and who he was at his core felt for all of the sorrow and suffering of that city, like Abraham felt for the city of Sodom and Gomorrah, right? Like we should feel for the city of Ketchikan and our friends and neighbors. Does your heart ache for people in need? Do you lose sleep over the spiritual condition of those people that you know? The people that are lost in your life, the folks that do not know Jesus, have not had saving relationship with Jesus, your family members, your friends, your co-workers, do you know that they are not believers and you go about your life without ever interceding for them? Or do you realize that they are literally um, one breath away from eternity separated from Christ forever and ever and always? And you have the opportunity and the joy and the privilege to go between God and them and beg God to do something in their life that is so insanely large that it would wreck them for good right? But do you feel that burden? Do you hurt for them? Or do you just know that they're lost and you go about your life? God invites you to feel pain on behalf of other people. This is going to form you to become like the character of God. The blessing and the joy of intercession is the very heartache for other people that propels you to pray for them, okay? The blessing and the joy of interceding for other people is the heartache that motivates you to pray. You must weep for people. You must hurt for people. You must sorrowly understand their sorrows and their sufferings because that is going to drive you 
to pray for them. When you see them in the state that they are at and recognize the actual condition of their soul and their mind and their hearts, and you feel moved, you will pray because Jesus was moved and he wept. The Garden of Gethsemane and uh, coming down off the Mount of Olives and Moses interceded for the people on the Mount of Sinai and Abraham interceded for the people um, of Sodom and Gomorrah. And time and time again, we see people, leaders who care about people and actually do something about it because they know there's a God big enough to actually do something about it. And God is inviting you to participate in that process. Um, I talked last week about many ways that you can practice praying, right? Like there's apps for that, and there's you can get a prayer journal. Here's what I've actually done. I went out to Walmart, and I bought them out of prayer journals. They didn't know they carried them, okay? <laughs> they do. Um, and here's what I want. I want everyone to have a prayer journal, whether it's a paper version, okay, and you keep it in your pocket or your notebook, or whether... It's um, a digital kind of version, okay? Um, if you have a smartphone, there is an app called Echo. You can search for it in the Google Play Store or the iPhone Store. Um, it is literally one of the best prayer apps I have seen out there. Um, it, in, in, in less than 15 seconds, you can open it, press the little plus button, and it gives you two fields to fill out. Name and what you're praying for them for. Type done, and it adds it to your prayer list. Bada-bing. Open the app. Pray for your prayer list. Super simple. Maybe you want to write it on paper. That's fine. But you must keep track of prayers. Here's another one that will help you learn to pray. Um, it will not help you keep track of prayer lists. But if you do not know how to pray, this Abide app, which is called Abide Prayer. You can search for it in either app store. There's also videos to talk about this on our Facebook page, and you can see them. Um, they will help you learn the discipline of prayer. But here's what I want. If you do not have a way of keeping track of your prayers during worship today, right after the sermon, I want you to come forward and get a little notebook, a little lined notebook, and keep track of prayers. Because I guarantee you, there are at least five or six people you can think of that do not know the Lord, right? And can I get a nod on that, right? Hey, and you must be praying for them. But if you're like me, you'll forget. And so a prayer journal is the best way to remember to intercede for people. It's a tangible in your pocket, in your car, and when you see it, you'll remember, oh, that's my prayer journal. I should pray for those people. You open it up, put your oikos in there, those 8 to 15 people that you see on a daily basis or a regular basis that you are praying for. Put them in there, right? Put your family in there. Put your neighbors in there. Put your coworkers in there. Put your leaders in there, your government leaders. Put your national leaders in there. Put your pastor in there, okay? Pray for people, and then watch what God will do as you intercede for them. Because know that even if you don't know how to pray for them, God will intercede on behalf of your intercession. Does that make sense? Right? So I'm going to close in prayer. And as I close in prayer, um, I want you to be praying too. Not just listening to the words that I'm praying, but actually talking with God in your own head, asking him, who can I be praying for? Who should I be praying for? How should I be praying? And then God will reveal to you faces and names and people, and then put them in the prayer journal immediately so that you do not forget to intercede for people for the glory of God, both in your life and their life. Does that make sense? Yeah. All right, let's pray. Father, um, this morning... Um, 
we're learning what it means to go between. To go between someone and you and feel with such love for that person or that family or those circumstances to be so moved that we would literally stand face to face with you and risk you saying no. Risk you saying, I don't know. I'm not handling that the way that I, the way that you think I would handle it. We want to intercede and say, Father, do something in the life of someone, even if it's not the way I would do it. Do something in the life of someone, even if it's not how I think it needs to be done, because God, your plan is bigger and better. And we're willing to receive the answer, yes, no, and later. But Lord, we're not willing to stand by and let someone suffer. We're not willing to stand by and allow someone to continue to walk away from you. When we know that we have very within us your Holy Spirit interceding, and we were interceded for, and you are shaping us in your image, which means we must intercede for other people. Your word tells us this is good and holy, Father. Form in us a heart of passion and compassion for people that we would begin to walk through our lives and see people left and right to pray for. That we wouldn't live in an isolated world of prayer just praying for our own needs and the needs of our family. That we would really feel the burden to pray for other people. For souls to be one to Christ. For missionaries overseas. For leaders here and abroad. For the church to flourish persecuted church to continue to have strength and grow for other churches in this city that they may flourish as well and their testimony may abound there are so many ways in which we can intercede father there's so many things we could be praying for and one of the saints that has gone before us martin luther once said i have got so much to do today that i need to spend a few more hours praying first so, Lord, I pray that the more that we have to do in our lives, the more people that we run into, the more things that are going on, that we would find more time to pray. Because the most important thing we can do, Father, is lay our lives and our loved ones before you. Hear our prayers this morning, Father, through song and through knelt knees and hearts before May you receive our offerings with joyful hearts and with a heart of deep intercession. We offer this in the name of Jesus for his will and his glory and with much thanksgiving. In your name we pray. Amen.